our hearts to live as disciples of Jesus, not just espousing principles, but putting our money where our mouth is, putting our, our, our words into action, to love, not just in word, but in deed as well. God, I pray for protection for the PRC. I pray for um, just encouragement for them in the midst of a very challenging uh, outreach effort that they do. And God, I pray that you would receive a lot of glory and that life would be valued and life would be seen as precious in our culture. Help us to be faithful, to love you, and to point people towards the hope of the gospel that's found in Jesus Christ. We pray this all in his name. Amen. Amen. Friends, can we say thank you to Mackenzie for joining us here today? Appreciate it. All right. Well, a lot going on today, and uh, uh, I'm excited today to dive into the gospel of John, but if you'll allow me to say something really briefly, we have been in the Gospel of John for somewhere around 18 months, but I know exactly how long I've been married because today it's 18 years. So my wife and I have been married for 18 years today, yeah. She was, uh, she was here in the first service. She's serving in the kids' ministry right now. Uh, I said, you know, in the first service, I said, oh, I, I promise not to be mushy, and she loudly said, good. And so I just wanted you to know that. But I will say this. Um, I'm very thankful for my wife, and if you have felt like... Uh, loved by me, served by me, benefited from my preaching or my leadership at all, just know sincerely from the bottom of my heart, I could not do any of this without the love and the support of my wife at home. She cares for me and the family really well. Uh, She is an amazing theological sparring partner, and most weeks uh, I practice my sermons on her, and so she helps me work out the kinks. I know there's still a lot left, but she's doing her best. She also tells me whatever Tim Keller said about the subject and how it was better, so I I have to deal with that too on a week in and week out basis. But uh, 18 years is a good start. I'm, I'm thankful we're just getting warmed up. And so if you see her, you can thank her for, for loving me and the family really well. But like I said, today is also special because we are finishing up the Gospel of John. I can't believe I'm even saying that. We're wrapping up the Gospel of John. We've been in it since the fall of 2017. Next week, we start a short six-week topical series called Things That Are Hard To Do. But I hope and pray by God's grace to, to conclude John's gospel here. We're in John chapter 21. If you've got your Bibles, I invite you to open up. We're going to start in verse 15. I'm going to have uh, Heather come and do our scripture reading for us this morning. Good morning. When they had finished breakfast... Is it on? No, it's not on. I, is this the right one? Just, you're right. You're okay. good. It's all, it's, sorry, yeah. production team. Nobody notices until the production guys mess up. But we love you. It's good. When they had finished breakfast... Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. 
Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die. But if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Amen. Friends, do you pray with me? God, thank you for the gospel of John. What an amazing story, an amazing encapsulation, Jesus, of your life and ministry and work. And uh, Jesus, thank you for using a unique individual like John to write this down for us to learn from and to grow from. And God, I do. I pray we would learn and we would grow today. I pray that we'd grow closer to you. Our hearts would be softened. Pray that we would encounter you in these words and that your spirit would move mightily in our hearts and minds right now. God, would you guard my lips? I only want to teach that which is helpful and, and truthful and would build us up in Christ. And so give us, give us the kind of hearts that, that we need to receive your truth today. And we pray this all in Jesus' good name. Amen. This epilogue section, this chapter 21 of John is really fascinating because at the end of chapter 20, you might remember, it sure seemed all neat and tidy and buttoned up. John said, you know, I've written these things that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and by believing you have life in his name. It just seems like, boom, we're done. We've wrapped it up. But then he goes on to write an entire extra chapter. And in particular, I, I could not help but notice the way that Jesus says to Peter in chapter 21, follow me. And it's almost like it brings full circle the words that he said to his first disciples way back in, in, in John chapter one. He says, follow me. That the, the resurrection has happened and the resurrection is the most surprising, shocking twist ending to the story that no one really saw coming. Jesus appeared to the disciples behind locked doors. He appeared another time uh, where Thomas gets to, to see and to feel the scars in his hands and in his side. And, and then we saw last week that the disciples kind of just like, well, let's go back to fishing then. What do we do now? What, what does it mean that Christ was crucified, buried, but then rose again? And I think the, the, the simplest thing that we can kind of see is that we're being pointed to this idea of following Jesus. And so rather than a big idea today, I want to ask more of a big question that we're going to explore in our time together. And it's this, what does it look like to truly follow Jesus? How many of you know that Jesus does not want us to simply have correct belief? Jesus is not just merely interested in us being able to recite propositional truths back to him, but Jesus wants our lives to be engaged in following him. And so I want to ask this question and I want to focus in the way that our author, John, does by looking at the life of Peter. Do you guys love Peter? Peter is such an inspiration in so many ways. Uh, and he's focused on in these final verses in a very unique and special way. And so maybe we could just go back real briefly and let's, let's remember when we were first introduced to Peter, when, when Jesus calls him. This is back in John chapter 1. 
There's John the baptizer. There's John our author and then John the baptizer, John the Baptist. And he's got a couple of disciples who then turn and they start to follow Jesus. One of them was named Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we found the Messiah, which means Christ. And so Andrew brought Simon to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him. I love phrases like that. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. No, you're going to be Cephas, which means Peter, which Cephas is Aramaic, Peter is Greek. They both mean rock. Sturdy, stable, steadfast, foundational, which is kind of hilarious when you consider Peter's behavior and activity in the remainder of the gospel, is it not? How many of you would think, yes, Peter, the the portrait of stability? Jesus says, no, Simon, Simon, son of John's not good enough. I'm going to rename you. I'm going to retitle you. You're you're Simon Peter. And throughout the rest of the gospel, he's called Simon Peter, Simon Peter. It's usually both names together. In John 13, we can see an example of Peter's instability. In John 13, they're, they're having the last supper together and Jesus starts talking about, you know, leaving and going away. And, and Simon Peter says to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered, well, where I'm going, you can't follow me now, but you will follow me afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay my life down for you. Pretty, pretty brave, is he not? Jesus answered, you'll lay your life down for me? It's like, it's like, really? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow until you've denied me three times. Do you think that was a tough pill for a, a, a braggadocious guy like Peter to hear? No, absolutely not, Jesus. John 18, Jesus has been arrested. He's been taken before The religious leaders, it says, the servants and the officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves. And Peter was also with them, standing and warming himself. And then as he's there around this charcoal fire with these people, he denies knowing Jesus three times. Peter again denied it. This is the third time. And at once, a rooster crowed. Jesus is taken to be crucified, publicly humiliated and tortured. Peter is sinking into the depths of despair. I think it's in Luke's gospel where it says he goes and he weeps bitterly. Well, then we, we looked. Jesus, the, the tomb is empty and, and, and Mary Magdalene, the messenger to the apostles, goes and she gets Peter and John and, and, and Peter and John have a foot race to the tomb. And you guys remember who won that one. John wanted us to make sure uh, we didn't miss out that Peter was older and slower on the, the foot race. And they get there and the tomb is empty and Jesus appears behind locked doors and he appears to Thomas. And then we looked last week that, that they're out there on the boat. They're fishing. He tells them to cast their nets on the, the right side of the boat. They get 153 fish. By the way, did anyone go and Google the whole one? 153 fish thing. Please tell me you didn't. It's a crazy town out there. After I preached and told you not to Google 153 fish, I went and spent more time Googling 153 fish and all of the conspiracy theories that are out there. It's quite fascinating. But they catch the fish and the disciple whom Jesus loved, this is chapter 21, said to Peter, he leans over to Peter, goes, it's the Lord. 
When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he, he grabbed and, and tied on his outer garment for he was stripped down for work and he threw himself into the sea. I love violent verbs like that. This isn't just like, oh, I think I'll casually swim to go see if it is Jesus. It's like you hear him like yelling like, as he dives into the ocean. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out it, on it and bread. And Jesus invites them to breakfast. Now we pick up in verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John. Hmm. Why would Jesus go all the way back to that original name? We're not explicitly told, but it sure seems like there's something to the thought of Jesus saying to Peter, hey, let's, let's go back to square one. Let's push the reset button. Let's, let's try this again. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, oh, are we supposed to pick up on anything here? Three denials, three questions, three statements of love. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved. He's upset because he said to him the third time, like, quit asking me this over and over again. You, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Now, there's something interesting. That the, the first question that Jesus asks him isn't just, do you love me? But Jesus asks him this question, do you love me more than these? Now, in the English, it's a little bit vague, isn't it? Do you love me more than these what? And if you look at it in the Greek, people who are smarter than I will say it's just as vague in the Greek. And so people come up with different explanations. Do you love me more than you love these disciples, Peter? Do you love me? Like, is your love for me greater than your love for your, your, your fellow brothers here? Or some would say, maybe he's asking him, Peter, do you love me more than you love these fish? Uh, in the sense of, do you love me more than you love your career and your occupation and your, your previous way of life? Are you w- willing to love and, and be devoted to me more than anything else? But yet others would point to the possibility that maybe Jesus is saying, do you love me more than these other guys love me? And I think there's some real merit to that because remember Peter standing up in front of the other brothers and saying, Lord, even if they all fall away, I would never fall away. I mean, it's in Matthew 26. You can read it where he basically throws them all under the bus. Lord, if these losers don't make it, you know you can count on me. And so Jesus is saying, really? Do you really love me more, even more than these guys love me? R.C. Sproul, the the late great uh, preacher and author, he says, my educated guess is that he was asking Peter, do you love me more than the rest of the disciples love me? This is why I think that. Jesus taught, to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. And the corollary is true. He who is forgiven much, loves much. Can you think of anybody that has been forgiven quite as much as Peter? If you've received much grace, if you've received much forgiveness, then there is much outpouring of love. 
There is a sense in which the depth of our affection for Christ is inseparably related to the depth of our understanding of that which we have been forgiven. Peter understood that all of those, um, that of all those surviving, he had betrayed Christ more deeply than the rest. Therefore, in being forgiven, restored, and invited back, not only into the fellowship of Christ, but into the ministry of Christ, rather than being dismissed from ministry for the rest of his life for his scandalous transgression, he saw the grace of God more fully than the rest. If there's anybody on Jesus' team who would have been uh, well-suited to be benched for the rest of the season, so to speak, it's Peter. And yet in this moment, Jesus says to him, do you love me more than these? I want to take a moment and I, and I want to just address something. This is a little bit of a side note. For those of you who are word nerds, this is for you. You got three minutes. I'm going to do this quickly. But sometimes when you hear in this passage taught, people who, who know the Greek will notice that Jesus and Peter are using two different words for love. Have you guys heard that? Uh, there's, there's a couple different words for love. One of the words for love in the Greek is uh, agapao. And, and sometimes they'll say like, this is like divine love. This is a really high form of love. And then there's another love that's phileo. And this is a lower, more human brotherly love. Uh, even Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love, phileo. And what's really interesting is you go back and forth between Jesus saying, Peter, do you love me? It's agapao. And Peter goes, Lord, you know that I love you, phileo. Do you love me, agape? Yes, I phileo you. And then the last one, Jesus goes, do you phileo me? And he goes, yes, I phileo you. It's an interesting thing that's going on there. And, and it's led scholars and, and commentators to, to at least ask the question, is there some kind of meaning that's, that's hinted at there? Is this, like, is this like Jesus saying, do you love me the way God loves me? And Peter's saying, no, I only love you just this much. I don't love you as much as you do. And finally, Jesus lowering the expectation of you love me in a phileo sort of way. And a lot of ink, a lot of ink has been spent on this. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? You ever heard this before? Or is this new to everybody? You guys, you heard this before? Here's, here's, um, Here's the problem with that. There may be something to this, but sometimes we need to be careful not to stretch things too far just because of the different Greek words. I like the Greek words. I like to look into the, to the meaning behind it, but there's a few reasons why I don't think that there's some deeper meaning happening here. The first of all, the first reason is that agape and phileo are basically interchangeable throughout John's gospel. There, you know how um, John refers to himself as this disciple whom Jesus loves? He uses both verbs at different times. I'm the disciple whom Jesus agape, the disciple whom Jesus phileo. Do you know how it says that the father loves the son? You guys should know that. The father loves the son. You guys agree? Both verbs are used. It says that Jesus loved Lazarus. Both verbs are used in different verses. And agape isn't even necessarily divine love because it says that the Pharisees love the praise of men and the verb agape is used there. So ah, maybe it's not quite as different as sometimes we make it seem. Also, if, if there's such a sharp distinction, if there's such a big difference between the two verbs for love, why does Peter keep answering in the affirmative? P- you know, Peter, do you agape me? Yes, I, I really do. It, it seems like he's really trying to connect with what Jesus has said. And then the third reason why I don't really want to stretch it too far is that there's other words in this passage that change back and forth. Did you guys notice? Feed my lambs, tend my sheep, 
feed my sheep. Well, does he want us to feed his lambs or his sheep? It's like, we're we're basically getting a summary of what I think is a really long, in-depth conversation between Jesus and Peter. Even the words for Lord, you know that I love you. The word know changes a few different times back and forth. It's you, you know, you oida, you oida. And then the last one, you gnosko, that I love you. Here's what Andreas Kostenberger says about this. He says, the fact that agapo, allegedly reserved for divine love, is used by John for human love, and the fact that phileo, supposedly denoting human love, is used by John to refer to divine love, surely confounds this whole theory. It seems that John could use both terms to refer to human and divine love. Probably he did not use these two words for love with this distinction in mind at all, rather employing them for the purpose of stylistic variation. Okay? That was for you, word nerds. I wanted to get one last one in in the Gospel of John. I agapo you. You're welcome. Back in verse 18. Here we go. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young... You used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. Most scholars believe that John is writing this very late. He's older and that Peter did indeed die a death of crucifixion the way that Jesus did. Church history and and, and legend has it that Peter requested to be crucified upside down because he did not deem himself worthy to die in the same manner as Jesus. Historically, we do know that people did receive crucifixion upside down. We don't know for certain if that's what happened to Peter, but it, it would not be unreasonable to think it did. But this passage is pointing to the type of death that Peter ultimately died following Jesus and reaching a death like his. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. I think there's kind of a double meaning here because yes, follow me in the general sense, but they turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. So there's like this sense where Jesus goes, hey, Peter, let's, let's go for a walk down the beach. We just ate a big heavy breakfast. Let's go, let's go get our steps in. You know, their Fitbits are fired up and everything and they're walking and, and Peter turns, Peter always turns. Peter's looking and sees John following them, the one who had leaned back against him during the supper and said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? And Peter saw him and he said to Jesus, hey, you remember that whole, uh, I'm going to be crucified thing you just said? What about this guy? And <laughs> Uh, Peter's still, right to the very last verses of the book, it's Peter's like, hey, what's, what about him? How's he going to die? And Jesus said to him, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what do you care? What is that to you? You follow me. Don't worry about John. Don't worry about anyone else. I've told you what you're supposed to do. You follow me. In verse 23, so the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not going to die. Hey, this is crazy. You try to wrap your mind around this. People misunderstood the words of Jesus. <laughs> like, so there's this rumor in the early church that like John's not going to die and all these other disciples are starting to die off and he's writing this later to be like, you guys, I'm still alive, but Jesus did not say 
that he was not to die, just if it's my will that he remains alive till I come, what is that to you? It's almost like, look, if I want John to fly to the moon for me, what do you care? Focus on yourself, Peter. And yeah, I'm not, it's not that I'm not going to die. I just happen to be living longer than everyone else. Verse 24. That's just awesome. Like, whoever said the Bible was boring? Verse 24. This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things. And we know that his testimony is true. You, you can believe me. I, I was an eyewitness. I saw all of this. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. John had a great conclusion at the end of chapter 20. It's almost like he wrote an even better conclusion at the end of chapter 21. So let me take the next few minutes that we have, and I just want to highlight five lessons I think that we can learn from Peter. The first thing we can learn from Peter, what does it mean for Peter to follow Jesus? Well, Peter needed to face his deepest shame so that he could experience an even deeper forgiveness from Jesus. Did you notice when I was going through these these passages and kind of recounting his story, in, in John chapter 18, it said that the servants and the officers had made a charcoal fire. And that's not, a, that's not a normal type of fire. Usually you'd get sticks or logs or branches, right? A charcoal fire uh, maybe is, is a fire that would take a little bit more money, a little bit more wealth to have that kind of resources to have charcoal made available to you. This is the high priest after all. And so they've got a charcoal fire that would burn hotter and, and last longer. And did you notice in John chapter 21 when Jesus, in the miraculous catch of fish, and he invites them to come have breakfast, what kind of fire does Jesus have going? A charcoal fire. It's really interesting that this word for charcoal fire, the Greek word for charcoal fire, by the way, is anthrax. I'm not making that up. That just is the word. That's what it is. That's interesting side note. It has nothing to do with the main point. But the, the main point is that this word, anthrax, charcoal fire, only appears twice in the entire Bible, these two verses. Nowhere else in the entire New Testament does this word appear. John is trying to broadcast something to us. Yesterday, I, I, I fired up the barbecue. Charcoal. I used a very godly amount of charcoal in my barbecue. Got a little extra sunshine. You guys know that smell of a charcoal fire? Psychologists tell us that of all the five senses, the sense that is most directly tied to memory is the sense of smell. You can touch or feel or hear things or you can see things that remind you of your past, but of all of the senses that can just transport you back in time, smell is the one. Some of you, you, you smell a certain thing and it's, oh, that's my, my grandmother's perfume. I remember her wearing that or, or a smell of, you know, oh, we used to have, I go to construction sites with my dad and I can remember the smell of the, the glue or the wood or whatever it might be. Jesus lights a charcoal fire. Do you think that might have transported Peter back to that moment of standing there in front of all these people? Do you know Jesus? Do you know him? Are you with him? No, I never knew the man. Jesus takes Peter to his deepest place of shame and regret. Peter's sin was personal. It's not like he stole money from a cash register. He, He 
personally denied his rabbi. He personally denied the one who he called the Messiah, the Savior, the Son of God. And his sin was public. This wasn't some private sin that took place behind locked doors. This was out in front of of the other disciples. This was out in front of these other people who were there. This was a public sin. And for Peter, it probably felt like this sin was past hope. I hope this isn't the case for anyone here, but I've known people who got into an argument or had a broken relationship with somebody and then that person died and they have lived with this painful feeling of, I wish I had had time to make it right. You have to know that Peter was feeling that way up until the resurrection. This is deep pain. This is deep shame. And there's something interesting here that's, that's happening. This, this charcoal fire is taking place in front of the other disciples. I started thinking this week, something I've never thought before, something I'd never really considered before, but I came across the idea that maybe Peter and Jesus actually had a private moment of reconciliation prior to this moment. And the reason why I think that maybe is because in 1 Corinthians 15, 5, the apostle Paul says that Jesus appeared to Peter first, then to the other 12. And in Luke chapter 24, when the disciples come back from the road to Emmaus, the other disciples are saying, Jesus appeared to Peter and then has appeared to the rest of us. There's twice in the New Testament where it names Peter as being the first one to meet with Jesus. I don't know if that's true. I don't know if Jesus and he had a a personal individual moment of reconciliation. But what I do know is here in this moment, Jesus is allowing Peter to meet that place of his deepest shame and to experience not just grace and forgiveness, but even restoration into the work of ministry. How crazy is it That Jesus commissions him, feed my lambs, shepherd my sheep, care for me. Three affirmations in line with the three denials. And this is happening right here in front of all of the other disciples. It's almost like Jesus wants Peter to really connect the dots. That when Jesus went to the cross, he bore Peter's shame. And that for the follower of Jesus, where we want to take our shame and we want to go hide, we want to cover, we want to withdraw, we want to pull back, Jesus says, no, let's, let's bring it here to the charcoal fire. And let me meet you with radical grace, with radical forgiveness, with radical transformation, even in the presence of the other disciples. Friends, do you know that on the cross, Jesus bore our shame? Do you know that Jesus was publicly shamed so that we might be washed clean of those things which shame us? In a world and in a a culture that tries to live by an ethic of there is no shame, there is nothing to be ashamed of, Peter's invited to bring his shame and see it healed in the light of the resurrected Jesus. That's the first thing that it means for Peter to follow Jesus is experiencing deep forgiveness in his place of shame. The second thing is that Peter gets challenged to love Jesus more than anyone else. And now regardless of where you land on the whole grammar issue, maybe there's some truth to all three, there is a more-ness that Jesus calls for from Peter. You have been forgiven much. Will you love me the most? 
more than the other disciples do, more than you love the disciples, more than you love fishing and your job and your occupation, is Jesus the treasure of Peter's heart? He's invited to consider that question. And friends, each of us is also invited to consider that question. For Peter, following Jesus means learning to keep Jesus as the number one love. The number one love. Number three, Peter was called to follow Jesus' example of sacrificial love. Now, it's, there is no uh, going to the cross like the way that Jesus went to the cross. Peter was crucified, but he was not crucified to atone for the sins of the world. Amen? That was like a one-time, unrepeatable sacrifice, the perfect, spotless Lamb of God, uh, the sacrifice to put away all sacrifices for the end of the ages. Praise be to God, the cross of Jesus is the cross. But Peter was called to a cross. He was called to a cross, a place of sacrificial love like his Savior was. Jesus even told him, this is, this is where it's going. Jesus shows him that to love means to sacrifice. I've seen this video going around Facebook the last couple of weeks. Don't raise your hand if you've seen it. Um, but basically, it's a, it's a guy and a gal, and they're talking together, and he's kind of giving a very stirring, rallying sort of speech to her about how she needs to cut out all of the negative people in her life. And the people they say, he's saying things like this, you know, people say you're, they're your friends, but they don't build you up and they don't lift you up and you just need to cut them out of your lives. You just need to get rid of all these negative people and if they don't got your back and if they don't build you up and if they don't support you, you don't need that kind of negativity in your life. There is something to be said about making sure you have people in your life that help build you up or whatever, but think about if that's your definition of love, that you need to cut out all the people that drain you, where would we be as followers of Jesus? Let me make it simpler. Where would we be as parents? I don't know if you know this about children. There was a distinct period of time where my children did absolutely nothing for me, okay? Like, I love you, Mackenzie, but like, you were waking me up in the middle of the night and there was diapers and stuff. Like, now it's really cool that my kids can, Dad, I love you, and can give me a hug. She can lead a song today in, in worship. That made me so happy. Thank you, Mackenzie. That was beautiful. But that took a lot of time and effort and sacrifice and love and, 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 and there's still times even in, in, in my best and healthiest relationships where someone is kind of draining to me. I love being a pastor. There's times where it's, oh, you're, you're not coming and knocking on my door just because you want to deliver wine and roses to me. You're knocking on my door because, hey, I got some problems. Could we talk? And bring it on. Praise God. Peter is called to view sacrifice as an essential ingredient to biblical Christ-like love. Number four, Peter had to remain focused on his unique calling. I, I love that moment. Hey, let's go for a walk, Peter. Yeah, what about, what about Johnny boy back here? What's, uh, what's going to happen to him? And Jesus essentially says like, ah, 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 ah. eyes, me, look, don't worry about him. You follow me. It is interesting the different paths that Peter and, and, and John were called to walk. D.A. Carson says there, there's no belittling of either disciple. One of them, Peter, may be called to a strategic pastoral ministry and a martyr's crown. The other to a long life and a strategic historical theological witness in written form. Peter's going to talk and lead and be out there and John's going to 
sit and think and write and introspect. And there's no denigration of either one. You know what I love? For all of Peter's flaws and faults and all the ways he gets it wrong, there's a beautiful picture later. Jesus, Jesus challenges him, feed the lambs, feed the sheep, shepherd the sheep. Peter does get to do some writing later in his life. And in 1 Peter 5, he writes to those who are themselves in church leadership. He says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Do you see the humility that's present there? The one who used to say, I'm the one, I'm the one that'll stick close to Jesus. Here he says, I'm, I'm just a fellow elder. Praise God for growth and humility, eh? As well as a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God. Peter's turning right around and telling church leaders to do the same thing that Jesus told him to do. Care for the flock of God. That is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, not because you're being forced to, but willingly, not, not for shameful gain, but but as God would have you, and, and, and eagerly, not domineering and bossing over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And then he says, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, this is beautiful, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You can almost just hear Peter saying, would you, would you learn from my example of pride? Let's, let's practice humility quick to repent, quick to take the back seat. And then lastly, Peter, to follow Jesus, meant that he had friends walking alongside him. You know, I was thinking about the relationship between Peter and John. And I did some searching, and I I spent some time looking through different books and searching online. There is, my conclusion is, there's not enough written about the relationship between Peter and John. There's a lot written between Jesus and Peter and Jesus and John, but not enough about Peter and John. They were were together at the beginning when when Jesus called them to follow. And and they were kind of the the inner circle. They got pulled aside also with James. Peter, James, and John would get pulled aside to go on the boat with Jesus or to go up in the the upper, the the, the mountain of transfiguration. And, and, And Peter, during the Last Supper, leans over to John and says, hey, will you ask him about that whole betrayal thing? Like, who is it? And, And they're together at the arrest and trial of Jesus that Peter actually gets to follow inside because John knows a guy who can kind of get him in. They're together when Mary Magdalene shows up with incredible news that that John didn't abandon his friend Peter even after Peter denied Jesus three times. And now they're together again having breakfast with Jesus. I even looked a little bit into the book of Acts this week and kind of read the two of them. They go into town. There's a beggar and, and he's asking for money and they, they go and they, they tell him, they start talking to him. Well, Peter talks to him and, and obviously, and John's there, but they, they heal him and, and then they get pulled before the, the officials and the government and they get beaten and they get imprisoned and it says they go rejoicing because they were worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. These guys are buds. These guys are friends. What a cool picture that is. The scripture gives us an insight into to Peter and John. Following Jesus means that Peter is going to follow Jesus with some other people who are going to keep him in line and keep him accountable. So let me just conclude, and I mean it for reals. <laughs> I'm not going to write an extra chapter 20 after, 21 after this. This is my actual for real conclusion. But let's ask these same questions of ourselves that we're seeing in Peter. So let me, let me ask you, like Peter, has your deepest shame 
been exposed to the resurrected Christ? I'm not asking you to say it out loud or, 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 or anything right now in the moment, but where are you living under the sway and the influence of shame? Some of you might be familiar, there's a, a woman named Brene Brown. She's a, an author, a, a psychologist, I believe, and she has explo- exploded in popularity over the last maybe five to seven years. And all she, she's a shame researcher. She writes books and gives talks. I even saw there's a new Netflix special. I think it's almost an hour and a half long, 75 minutes long, where she just stands up there and talks about shame. And she has exploded in popularity. It's so fascinating to me in a culture that has largely adopted an ideology that says shame isn't real, shame doesn't exist, do whatever you want, feel however you want, that millions upon millions of people are finding help and relief in the teachings of this woman, Brene Brown. And, and, and all I can say is this, as, as good and as right and helpful as, as what she teaches is, and there's, a lot, there's a lot there that's really, really good, a lot of what she says she actually gets from the Bible. I can tell you that as a follower of Jesus, Jesus wants to deal with your deepest places of shame and regret by exposing these things to the healing light of his grace and mercy. My prayer is that as we follow Jesus, we wouldn't shrink back into the darkness. We'd press forward into the light. My prayer is that Sound City, the, the prayer team and after service and conversations in the hallway and your community groups and, and your one-on-one meetings at a coffee shop, I'm, I'm praying that our church would be marked by being the kind of church where people could just say, I have never told anyone this before and I just need to get it off my chest. Sometimes as a pastor, I get that sacred privilege. I have people say that to me. I've never told this to anyone before. And I pray that you, as followers of Jesus, get that same opportunity to hear someone being unburdened from shame and to watch the resurrected Savior do his work right there in the moment. There's great freedom for us as followers of Jesus. If Jesus can deal with Peter's shame of denying him publicly three times, what are you carrying that needs to see the healing light of Christ's love? Like Peter, are you seeking to love Jesus more than anything else? And if you need some help to analyze that, I encourage you to look at the hours in your day, how you spend them, to look at the dollars in your bank account, how you spend them, and to consider your thought life and just what goes through your mind all day long. It's not wrong to think about something else besides Jesus. It's not wrong to think about sports or whatever your thing may be. But really stop and consider, does does this take up a place of preeminence in my thought life? Is this where I spend all of my money? Is this where I spend the majority of my time? And how does that stack up against Jesus' love for him? I can't create some legalistic, hard and fast rule. I'm simply asking you to evaluate. Number three, like Peter, are you willing to follow Jesus in sacrificial love? Can I just say, uh, being in community and in relationship in a church can be challenging. Note the lack of amens from people on that one, okay? There, it can be challenging, not everyone you talk to, not everyone you meet with is going to build you up and is going to have your best interest at mind. We, we know that we need people in our life to build us up. But do you understand that sacrifice is an important part of what it means to love? Number four, 
like Peter, will you remain focused on your unique calling? I remember I had conversation, I've had this conversation a couple of times where I've said something like, hey, you know, have you ever considered getting involved in leadership at Sound City Bible Church? And I've had people say things to me like, oh, well, Pastor Aaron, I could never do what you do. And I'm like, that is not what I asked in the slightest. And thank God I am not asking you to be like me. I already annoy me. God forbid there were more of me running around. Like, can you do what God has wired you to do? Can you be the leader that God has called you to be? The volunteer, the servant, the small group leader, the kids ministry leader, whatever it is that God has uniquely called you to do and you to be, will you remain focused on your unique calling without trying to be un- in an unhealthy way like somebody else or without even giving place to jealousy that you don't have the gifts that you wish you had? Will you be the disciple that Jesus has created you to be? And then lastly, do you have friends who will walk with you? For some of you, this, this idea of Christian community is, is not as high of a priority as it ought to be to you. That there's, yes, there's time spent with other Christians, but, but maybe for you, it's not intentional. Hey, let's get together and pray. Let's get together and read the Bible. Let's get together and talk about what Jesus is doing in our lives. Maybe today you need to go out for the first time to the Connect Desk and get signed up for a community group or a small group or one of our discipleship groups or something that's going on. Are we following Jesus? John says that Jesus has been raised from the dead, changes everything. And the call is for us to lay down our very lives to follow the resurrected Savior. In a moment, I'm going to invite Pastor Kyle to come and lead us in a celebration of the Lord's table. And you'll have an opportunity to sit and pray and reflect and, and ask Jesus. There's a, a lot here. That's a lot. And I don't expect that all five of those are going to resonate with each and every single one of you, but, but pray, ask God, God, where, where is it you're wanting to stretch me, challenge me, grow me? Let's, let's take our hearts before the Lord now in prayer and at the Lord's table. God, thank you for the gospel of John. Thank you for this incredible story, the grace that's revealed in Jesus Christ. And I pray that each and every single one of us would become more fully devoted followers of Jesus. Help us now as we come to the table to bring our shame, to bring the things that we love more than you, to bring our loneliness, to bring anything that's holding us back from following you, to bring them to the table and help us to experience your radical, incredible grace and mercy even here in this moment. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Aaron. We're going to transition now to uh, the Lord's table. We're going to Hopefully you received the elements on your way in. If you didn't, they, we have those out the door at the entrance. Um, you can go grab those, but just go ahead and hold on to your elements for a few moments. Um, we are going to, I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians 11. We'll invite the younger students class to come in and join us. Good to see you guys. Um, so communion is a time for followers of Jesus to meet with Jesus at the table we are going to meet with him this morning. We've been hearing from the word. We've been singing, um, giving, worshiping God. And this is another act of worship, um, meeting with Jesus. He wants to meet with us. And, and as Pastor Aaron's been talking about, this idea of truly following Jesus, how is Christ calling you to follow him? I love that thought of um, when Jesus called the fishermen to be fishers of men. I love that analogy. And actually, when I was first saved, I was a fireman, uh, and, and God called me to be uh, more of a supernatural fireman. And, and when he was calling me into full-time ministry, uh, there's a, a verse in Jude. It says to rescue people from the flames of judgment. 
And I just think we can overcomplicate following Jesus. There's so much, as Pastor Aaron said, there's so much to this. But I really want us to just pause this morning and think, how is Jesus calling me personally to follow him? What are the ways that he's gifted me and calling me to lead and to serve and to follow him? So I'll read from 1 Corinthians 11. It says, The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread... And drink the cup. You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We take communion as a way to remember Jesus' loving sacrifice in our place for the forgiveness of our sins. And then it continues on. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would invade our hearts this morning, that you would speak to us. God, show each of us, reveal to us the ways that you're calling us as individuals and as a body to follow you, to truly follow you, to live our lives sacrificially. Sacrifice hurts. Jesus modeled that so well. He modeled it perfectly on the cross. God, I pray that you would help each of us now as we take a moment to examine our hearts, to reflect on our lives would you speak to us, God, and help us to, to know how to give you everything to follow you with all that we are? We love you, Lord Jesus. We thank you for your sacrifice in our place. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and take...